Hey everybody, welcome back to the third volume of Dub C's Speakeasy, presented by Bars Rhythm and Beats. Um, today I have another special guest. I know every time I start this, I say special guest, right? But anyway, we have a special guest, and I swore I was going to have an intro with like sounds and sound effects and all that shit, and I keep not getting to it. So once again, just have me talking. But um, allow me to introduce you, uh, Jose Rosario, good friend good guy, come from kind of the same streets. Um, I'll let him introduce himself. Jose, introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, so uh, Jose Rosario. I am uh, was born in the Dominican Republic and uh, moved to the United States when I was six years old. And then uh, from there, we started off in New York, lived some time in New York, and then moved to Philly and uh, went to high school in Philly and then joined the Air Force out of Philly. And then Everything is history. That then the rest is history after that. So so yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, so obviously we're both, you know, Philly boys, same neighborhood. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> like, like when you told me where you were from, I was like, yo, this is this is wild. Like I couldn't believe they like literally what, like two blocks, right? Yeah, like two blocks away from each other. That's crazy. Because <laughs> how crazy. often do you run into somebody, you know, working with them? In another state altogether. No, and like and been decades removed from that area. And decades. It's like, <laughs> it's no, like oh, yeah, you from right down the block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was wild. No, for sure. Yeah, no, like the full circle. Like we both joined the Air Force. And then to have, you know, two kids from like one block from each other that didn't know each other wind up in like station and like little as, you know, detachment four where there was only four other people with us. Like that's crazy. So yeah, it's definitely serendipitous. It, yeah. Um, but we won't get right to we won't get right to the hard questions. I'm gonna start off with the hard questions. Um why the fuck you got four Christmas trees in your house? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. That's hilarious. Oh man, you started off nice. I like it. Hey, hey no, man. Like my wife, Christmas is like my wife's thing. Like she loves Christmas, you know. And then um, believe it or not. Um, two of those Christmas trees are six years old. You know what I'm saying? So we just accumulated over the years and now we got three stories. So like, it's like, yeah, I mean, you need one tree at least for each story. Everybody needs one. You know what? I mean, why not? It's the American dream, man. <laughs> it's the American dream. And yeah, I'm sitting here in my Grinch ass. Like we got one tree. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, man. Like, we accumulate, like, legit. So, like, our old Christmas tree, the one is in the basement right now. We've had it for six years, man. And um, so that thing's been, it was, we started off, I believe, with it in Tampa. Then we went to Michigan with it, then Melbourne. And then we wound up here. And then her dream has always been to have that big ass Christmas tree you see in the pictures, that massive, mm-hmm. like, 32 foot Christmas tree. Like, that's always been her dream. So we got here, we got this two-story and it's, you know, tall roofs. And she's like, I'm getting my Christmas tree. And so, like, it was pretty awesome to see, like, her face lit up, like, when we put it up and everything. So it was pretty cool. That's what's up. I'm I'm, I'm kind of hating because you sound like a much better husband than me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like Carolyn went and bought a, I think this tree is, I want to say it's nine feet tall. Yeah. It's a nine-foot Christmas tree. Yeah. And uh, she put it up. She put it up and she told me it took her like four hours. I was at work. And um and I was like, there's no there's no holiday that I give that much of a shit about where I would take four hours out of my day 
to put up decorations. But that's yeah. just me. I mean, you get so you know. I think we grow up similar though too. So I mean, growing up, like I'll tell you, and so even today to this day, like my kids and I, they call me the Grinch. Like I'm the Grinch, you know, because like I don't, I don't give a shit about my birthday. You know, I don't really care about holidays like christmas like okay cool christmas like that's just that's my personality or whatever um because i mean growing up i think a lot of it has to do with that like to me when i grew up my parents my uncles never made a big deal out of christmas like like, okay boohoo christmas like yeah cool whatever like here's 50 bucks and get the fuck out my face type thing um uh, versus with my wife it was a huge deal like christmas you know her mom was just they they made this massive deal and you know, half the Christmas tree had to be up to like the, the the half of the Christmas tree filled with freaking gifts. Like that's how they grew up, you know. So it was interesting to see, you know, the difference in how we were raised, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, for me, um, I, I think you know, but my birthday series after Christmas. So for, it, as a little, little kid, it was a big deal because it's Christmas and it's my birthday and it's my dad's birthday. Yeah. So everyone made a big deal about it. I probably was about 10 or 11 years old when my, when my parents were just like, you know what, let's dial it back. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think part of it was that, Hey, we didn't, we, they didn't have a whole lot of money, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not mad about that. I'm not one of these sour patch kids that's just pissed off that, Oh, my childhood was so terrible. Like I'm an only child slash oldest child. So my childhood was great. Um, but no, we're like, we didn't do the decorations and the Christmas gifts. It was just kind of like family time. We hung out. And then my brother and sister got a little bit older. I think they were probably about, you know, three or four years old when they kind of understood the concept of Christmas and decorations and stuff like that. And they wanted to do it again. But that, at that point, I was 16, 17. Yep. And I was just like, yeah, whatever, like man. Like, right I, now. Yeah, it's like, I'm not, I'm not being a Grinch. It's just, it, it doesn't move me one way or the other. I think we would have continued the trend of doing the, the big trees and the, um, the gifts and all that. I probably would maybe still be that way. Um, but I'm gonna be 37 in a couple of weeks and I do not care about my birthday. Yeah, I don't, that's, 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 exactly I'm happy to be alive right. another year, yep. but you know what, the, if the, we're going to go out and have a good time because it's what my family wants to do. But for me, man, get me a good bottle of whiskey, <laughs> like, you know, and I can chill in the crib and I'm happy. Yeah, it's not a big exactly. Thing that's exactly how I am too. And so it's the same thing. And I mean, you know, you, you look at the, like, my wife is complete opposite. Like, birthdays are a big deal to her, and, you know, Christmas is a big deal to her. And so, but, you know, ultimately, when you look at it, and it's crazy because, you know, is the, you being retrospective, when I look back at, you know, my life, like, like, feelings and getting in touch with your feelings and thinking about, like, why do people, you know, do certain things? Like, we never... It was like whatever we didn't give a shit about that like growing up it was like all right get over it like you're done with it you know um versus now like i take a step back and i'm like okay so she gets so excited over christmas and over birthdays because you know that's how she grew up like it was a big deal to her and, and she genuinely like that's a feeling right and and she feels like it's a big deal so and it feels you know she feels good when she's doing these things so um I try as much as I can not to hinder that just because it doesn't make me feel good. Right. I try not to hinder it. Um, but I, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you that, you know, in the beginning of our marriage, like it's always been to where I, I, I'm retrospective and I, and I, I get introspect right, and think like, Oh shit. Like, you know, she really likes this shit. Let me not be a dick about it. Right. That took time to, to develop, you know? It, it, I totally understand that. And I'm, I don't want to say I struggle with it. I think, 
that they've called me the Grinch for so much that I just kind of get into character and become the Grinch because they, they expect it, right? For mm-hmm. me, it's not even like, I don't hate Christmas. I just just don't care. Yeah. I just don't well, care. Well, that's how I you know am. I mean? Exactly. Yeah, it, and it's not even, um, I want them to have the greatest time ever. Like my wife, my kids, I want them to have the greatest time ever. Whatever we're doing, I want them to have the most fantastic time ever. No matter how miserable I might be, I want them to have a great time. Um, but, you know, for me, it's just like, cool like i give you guys gifts all year long at least the kids anyway um so it's not like that's my my whole paycheck what do you mean (laughs) 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 oh damn paycheck you follow me on social media you know my life is dedicated to those damn kids like well i'm not mean you follow my wife (laughs) you follow follow my wife on social media my my whole life all my money is dedicated to those kids so yeah (laughs) Oh no! I know. I've seen it in real life. I know it for a fact, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, man. Like, I just thought it was funny because I saw the pictures and, and Jamie. You could tell just in her her post, right? She gets super uh, happy about it and everything. You can you can see her excitement through all her. Oh posts man, she lives that I, shit, I man. Cool. She she lives that shit. Cool. Christmas is her shit, man. That's like, yeah, she lives Christmas. Um, and then her birthday is interesting. Her birthday is the twentieth. December and then Adriel's birthday is sixteenth of December, right? Um, and then so you surrounded by by greatness, yeah, super babies. Yeah, That's greatness right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, and we've always made a point for Adriel, like his his day, his birthday is like a week before Christmas, and still, like we've always made a point to where like you we're gonna rob you, you know, your birthday is still your birthday type thing. Um, and the kids actually, man, like my daughter, like she's fucking. So it's, my wife has passed it along. Like she loves fucking Christmas. Like she, every single day, she wants to be listening to Christmas music on the damn radio, like just blasting, making hot cocoa. Like that's her jam. Like I'm like, damn. And I'm like, yo, turn that shit off. Like, you know, <laughs> the Grinch comes out and they're like, yo, like that's it. I don't want to listen to that shit no more. But yeah. But, you know, it's, that's a good thing, though, because with them having birthdays in December, like I said, my birthday is three days after Christmas. My dad's is two days after mine. Um, my dad grew up super poor, like eating cookies and tea for dinner type poor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for him to have a birthday, you know, five days after Christmas, it was like the, like the girls and Caroline, it was, it was birthmas, right? You get your you get Christmas and birthday mixed together. Yeah. And it wasn't a whole lot. So yeah. he made sure that I had both. And um, I always appreciated that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's cool that you separate that because, I mean, it's not fair to anyone where uh, I joke, but, you know, I don't want Jesus taking over my birthday. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that was my birthday, Jesus. <laughs> you had your birthday. Yeah, you had Jesus. Everybody celebrating yours. I get five people. Come on, Jesus. But I mean, you know, it's important that you do that and make sure your kids understand that it's not just about the holidays, but it's about them too, right? So I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And we can sit here and talk about this shit all day, but um, like I've said before, like interesting people, um, you know. So let's talk a little bit. Like I said, you're born in the DR, yeah. and, and you moved here when you were six. Yeah. So what was that? What was that like transitioning from? essentially a foreign country you, you you speak spanish you're bilingual was it a difficult time for you to kind of like immerse yourself into the american culture opposed to the island culture yeah man so um i remember and, and it's funny because a lot of what i remember are the most traumatic experiences from that um from that time and so i like similar to your dad i was you know born like dirt poor um 
up until pretty much I was six, seven years old. Like we were dirt poor, and we talk about dirt poor, literally dirt poor. Like, you know, my grandmom's house, the house we lived in, had dirt floors. Like that's how poor we were, you know. And that that's how bad it was. Like we had a tin roof, and water would come through the tin roof if it rained too hard, you know. Like that's how bad it was, and um, to the point where like my grandmom was telling me that three, four days a week sometimes. Um, my dinner would be to drink sugar water, not even milk. You know what I'm saying? Cause my mom at an early age, my mom gave me up, um, to my dad and my dad was too busy, you know, working. So my grandmoms took care of me, you know, but we were so yeah. poor that we couldn't even afford milk. They couldn't even afford to buy me milk. So it was a sugar water. And so, um, it's funny cause all my baby teeth, you know, you know, for, so when I was six, all my baby teeth had rotten because of that. Cause I would go to sleep with the bottle and sugar water, you know, in my mouth. So like y- y- all my baby teeth were rotten. Um, I had to get them all extracted when I came to the States when I was like eight or nine, because it was so bad or whatever. But, you know, growing up that poor, um, you know, the transition was definitely rough because I was six and I, you know, you know how here you go to you go to pre-K, you go to early learning, you go to all these phases. When you're three, you start going to school pretty much, right? Daycare and all that shit, right? I was six and I had never been to any type of school, right? And so, you know, you go to New York and immediately you're six years old, they go by age. So they put my ass straight into first grade um, in New York City, in the Bronx. And um, it was quite a, a learning curve. And, and you know, I was, it's funny, I always tell my, my kids this. When I was six years old, my uh, my teacher was she was a hard ass, and she was like, "Yeah, if you don't ask to go to the bathroom in English, then I'm not gonna let you go to the bathroom." And I was terrified, and, and this is how I've always, you know, as a kid, I was always super timid, um, and I didn't didn't ask. And, and a couple times, bro, like I pissed myself in class, like it was that bad because, oh, like, you know, the the language barrier, and I was terrified of my teacher that I pissed myself in class. Like it it was so crazy. And you know, times have changed because nowadays, like if a teacher lets a kid piss himself in class, like that's a fucking huge deal. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you know, know, but, uh, but back then it wasn't, it it was what it it is, what it is. Just, you know, fucking. And I would sit there all day with my PS damn jeans and shit and all itchy. I remember those, those are rough memories, but the transition, it was definitely rough. And then, um, to make it worse uh, for me, um, so I never lived. I lived with my dad in New York in the Bronx for a year. And then from there, he left me with his ex-wife. Um, so like just completely somebody unfamiliar. Uh, so I lived with her um, for three years. And then, you know, they got divorced and, and they went their separate ways. And my dad was still in the Dominican Republic. So then at that point, um, he sent me to live with his second cousin. So I live with my second cousin. And uh, that was a whole, that was a whole nother rough, let's say four years of my life to where she used to, they, I mean, we talk about child abuse to the, to the extreme. Like um, she used to make me kneel on rice and shit. Um, it, it was that bad. So um yeah pr- pretty rough um not not like cooked rice like uncooked rice neil for 30 oh, no I, I understand that yeah. yeah um but but yeah she lived there and um i used to go to the mega public every summer while i was living with with that lady and then um, one summer i just told my grandma i was like look because my grandma was still in the mega public i was like you can't send me back there like 
And I broke it down to my grandma, everything that's going on. And my grandma was like, nah, you ain't going back there or whatever. So then here goes another culture shock, right? Because um, Dominican Republic, right? I went from Dominican Republic to New York City. I learned English, went to school up until sixth grade in, in New York City, right? And um, hardly knew, you know, I didn't, I'd never been to school, like Spanish school. And then my grandma's like, I'm going to keep him here in Dominican Republic. So I did seventh grade in Dominican Republic, right? And uh, you talk about a culture shock. Like, you know, now you're going to school from going to school in English to going to school in Spanish again. So that was a whole nother shock um, in itself. And then um, it was public school, man. And, and, you know, perspectives is everything. Like, when I think back at it, like, you know, my grandma was still living. Like, she was a little bit better than what I had left her off, but still was still poor, right? And so I went to, like, public school in the Dominican Republic in, like, the rough parts, right? And, um, you know, it was so crazy because public school is so different out there. So in seventh grade, bro, I kid you not, there was 18 and 19-year-olds in my class in seventh grade. Wow. Like, it is fucking... Did they grow? Did they grow crazy. Or was it like They, they was did. It... So it is different out there, right? So what happens is a lot of these kids have to, like, work, right? And so, you know, at, you know, 10, 11 years old, they drop out of school. They go work, you know, up until they're 15, 16. And then they go and restart right back off where they dropped off, right? So if they dropped off in, in fifth grade, then they'll go back. They won't do it by age. Like, you know, that no child left behind like it is here. That's not a thing out there. Like, it's like, nah, like, okay, you the last time you went to school with fifth grade, you, you're fucking 17, you're going to sixth grade. Like, that's what it is. Like, you're going to sixth oh, grade. Shit. So, so I mean, I guess, I guess to an extent, that kind of yeah. makes sense because you're not going to be in the same. Like, if you're 17 and you go straight to 12th grade, is, there's no one. No, you're just going to jump in. But it's different, right? Because here in the state, you know I mean? <laughs> like, you'll do a GED. They're like, all right, we're going to send you to night school. You go a GED. They won't put those cats in the same. Like, I was fucking 11 years old. I think I was 12, you know, in class with these 18, 19. You know, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it was like, it was a handful of them. It wasn't like just like one of them. It was a handful of them, you know, um, these grown ass people or whatever. And it was interesting because, um, my grandma still reminds me. She's like, yo, like you were the youngest kid. You didn't know hardly any Spanish. And like, I had study groups, like kids, like these 18, 19 year olds would come to my house to study because I was doing so well in school, you know? Um, right. And so it, it, it was definitely interesting, but that was a whole nother shock. But that year that I spent in the Dominican Republic, like childhood wise, like was by far the best year of my childhood years. Like, best year like i i can't like the memories that i have of my childhood most of them are from that one year and i think a lot of it is because i blocked out you know the rest of because it was so rough before that you know um, yeah i mean i mean when you and you you know you talk about living with your cousin and you know the shit she what you do that means understand what you, you want to just blank that shit out you don't want to think about it you don't want it to affect your mental state um because i mean Cause I'm sitting here because this is I'm like for people who are listening like this is my first time hearing a lot of this stuff right so um, no it's just crazy that you were able to even succeed and do so well jumping from DR to New York and then back and then having to because I'm sure you weren't speaking you know Spanish 
often in the U.S., right? Like he wasn't no, wasn't well, all day, yeah, every day so, type thing. No, it definitely wasn't. So, I mean, the difference is like, you know, once you go to school in New York, it's like they start you off as ESL, right? You've heard of ESL, right? The first mm-hmm. year you start ESL. But then after that, you're on your own. Like you're not on ESL after the first year. So I went to school in English all the way from second grade um, through sixth grade, right? So those four years. And so at that point, I was fluent in English and I was, you know, I was good in school, but English, right? Not Spanish, right? So like reading and writing in or Spanish is a whole nother world. And I didn't know how to read and write Spanish. And here I am in seventh grade, right? So it was crazy um, how that worked out. Because I remember uh, my mom's coworker, because, um, you know, you're from North Philly, you know, it's North Philly is a mixture of blacks and Hispanics. Yep. Honestly, yep, that's especially our neighborhood. That's where we're from. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so when her coworker, she was Puerto Rican. And they did not let their kids speak English in the house, period. It was straight up. Like, you come in the door, it's Spanish. Um, They would speak English to me when we would go over to visit them and stuff like that. Because obviously, you know, I don't speak Spanish. I know a little bit because I grew up around it, but I'm not fluent. You know, if you you give me a whole sentence out there, it's you kind of sideways. Like, I heard half that. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, I mean, to – it's one thing where you're doing it constantly. You're flipping back and forth where, all right, I'm in school. I'm going to speak English. I come home and speak Spanish. Um, and this doesn't just happen in the, uh, you know, Latino culture. It happens in Asian cultures and other um, Indian, many other, uh, you know, cultures around the world do that when they come to the States. But when you're doing it full time and then you got to go back to your native country, your native area, and everyone speaking one language, you're like, yo, fam, I've been sitting here speaking English for the last four years. And you want me to go to school and speak Spanish, write in Spanish, you know, listen in Spanish, take notes in Spanish. It's, I can imagine that's a very difficult thing to do. And then on top of that, you were tutoring, like I said, adults, really. Adults, you know, yeah. It's 17, 17, 18 years old. Like, that's got to be, I mean, kudos to you first of oh, all man but that's gotta be tough. It was definitely i mean I, my childhood like i mean when you think back at it like you know growing up is like you know like i'm like fuck like therapists should have been a thing for us like or for me especially like when we talk about like you know in american culture like therapy like you're going to a psychologist or a therapist is like yeah okay let's you're going to but like I grew up and it's like, no, fuck out of here. You're not going to fuck it. What the hell is a therapy? Like we used to make fun of it. Right. Um, but then I, I look at my like childhood and I'm like, yo, I was a perfect candidate to sit down. Like my shit was fucked up. Like <laughs> I should probably be going to therapy. Like, um, but yeah, no, it, it was definitely, it was definitely a rough time. Um, I'll tell you, I think my, um, my life got, significantly and i when i say significantly i mean significantly better uh when i joined the air force because even even in philly like um you know i philly i know philly and and you might you know, actually no i think you know philly different my philly all i know is north philly like i don't know um more didn't i mean till recently i didn't know downtown philly the only downtown philly legit that i knew was the gallery that's it that is all I knew downtown Philly because I would catch that, that you know, uh, the 47, 47 straight down the yep. gallery and that was it. And then I would hop back on and that was, I didn't know anything downtown Philly. So I didn't know, 
people used to ask me about Genos and Pats. Like, I didn't know none of that shit until I joined the Air Force and came back home on leave. And that's when I started doing that touristy stuff. But other than that, my my uncles made it a point to pretty much shelter me. And, I, you know, looking back, I don't blame them from sh- for sheltering me, sheltering me, you know, mm-hmm. um, because, I mean... I mean, you know that. I mean, that area. Well, yeah, especially that, that that neighborhood no good. is. No. <laughs> yeah. And 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 here's the thing: like you were there when I was in the suburbs, right? Like, so I I was born on Seventh Susquehanna. Yeah. Like, well, I was born really in Temple University Hospital on Germantown Avenue. Um, well, between you know you know where Temple University Hospital is between Germantown and uh, yeah, right there on Broad, Broad Street. Street. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born there. But I'm a North Philly dude. Like I was born, I was raised on Seven Susquehanna, and then we moved down to it was it's an apartment building. It's still down there on Sixth and Marshall. Sixth and Marshall, yep. And we, me and my mom moved down there, and uh, I lived there. Okay, so I was born in Seven Susquehanna. I lived there till I was nine. Moved down to Sixth and Marshall till I was eleven, and then my parents. Almost like fucking Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? Like, like I, I kept getting the fights and shit. The fuck out. Yeah, so my parents was like, "Nah, you gotta go here." And you know, my dad took me to live with him out in um, East Lansdowne, which is literally right outside of West slash Southwest Philly. Yeah. Um, so I went to junior high and high school out there, but even before that, uh, I went to Ferguson Elementary. And I'm sure you know where that is. That's off right of, there, uh, like uh, what is it, Susky and what a Ferguson or not? I, my cousin went to Ferguson. Uh, environment, I want to say. Yeah, my my cousin went to Ferguson. Yeah, so I went to elementary school there, and it was like, nah, this this kid is he don't need to be in here with these kids. So they started busing me out to the northeast. I went to Forest Elementary. Which I'm sure you don't know what that is, but well, I was in Northeast Philly, and if you know anything about Philly, Northeast Philly is a predominantly white area. No, well, Northeast Philly, Philly to us, you know, growing up in North Philly, North Northeast Philly is that all right? You know, it's the come up. Like all right, this is it. This is my next step, right? Like, like once you you start making it, once you start digging yourself out of the hole, Northeast Philly is is the next logical step. Like that's the next progression. Um, then after right. that, if, you go to Bucks County. Family, yeah, if your family is moving yeah. out there. I was still living in Seven Susquehanna. Yeah. And bus way right out there. there. So in 90, like 1990, maybe it might have been 89. No, no, no. 99. It was the early 90s. Early 90s. Um, I'm in elementary school, third grade. I get bussed out there, and I'm like one of five black kids yeah. in a school of hundreds. And this is the '90s, bro. <laughs> like the '90s. I'm the, like one of five black That's kids. That's fucking crazy. That's nutty. Um, and I think that is when, like, kind of my my aperture of what the world was kind of opened up a little bit. You know what I mean? Only because, like. You had these kids that had just just grew up in a different environment than I did. You know, what I mean, they didn't know what crack no. was. Like I used to see crack files all the time. I knew crack dealers. You know what I'm saying? I knew who the D boys were. I knew who the drug the drug addicts were. They didn't understand that concept, and they were t- teaching me about Guns and Roses and you know all types of quote unquote white shit. And um, it, it made me understand that Philly was bigger than just our little four block area that we live in. You know, what yeah, I mean? yeah, because that's huge. Yeah. You said it right there. I think, and I think most people. You know, not just Philly, but like 
in the hood, in the hood in general, um, it's that what's what it is. Most people stay within that four block radius, like, and that's it. Like, that's all we do. Like, no, I don't need to know nothing else. This is all I need, you know? Yeah, and especially when you're a young kid and you're there, like, the adults or your parents or whoever's watching you will be like, yo, you can go from this corner mm-hmm. to this corner. That's it. If you go, if you go into the gallery, you get in the bus. You get off the gallery, get back in the bus. You get back back on the corner and get back in the crib. Yep. I mean, it was so bad. So I used to catch the forty-seven. You know, I went to Edison High School. Um, So I used to catch the forty-seven to and get off on uh, Fifth and Luzerne right there, and um, and then I used to catch the forty-seven right there. Um, And my uncle used to time me because he was like, no, like. You ain't fucking around. Like you have this amount of time to get from school to the bus stop, from the bus stop to the house, put on your clothes to come work at the garage and then get on the bike. You got to be home. I'm trying to remember what the time was. I think it was something like four o'clock. I got off of school at 255 and I had to be at the garage by four o'clock. If not, it was like you, you fucked like, okay, the 47 was late. You fucked. I don't give a shit. Like, that's that's your ass you know um yeah but yeah no it, it, it's crazy T- talking about the 47 just brought back a memory like um you probably know so second in luzerne right there um that that corner which is um edison was like right there on that corner um mm-hmm. so the the cat from uh from Omni high school they used to come down and wait for the Edison High School cats to get off, and they used to um, they used to stab a couple of cats got stabbed in that corner, um, and it got so bad that um, the buses started just waiting outside. The, so they actually got SEPTA to come right in front of the school um, because so many people were getting jumped and stabbed, you know, in the corners that they were like, "No, SEPTA, you got to pick these kids up." right here so septa like the 47 i don't remember what other two buses they were waiting outside the school um for us to get on that's how crazy it was it, i mean thinking about it perspective wise i'm like yo that's crazy that you know they were able to get septa septa was like the, the yellow school bus you know what i'm saying like it's yeah. crazy man like just to protect the kids um it got that bad it, it, you know i think a lot of people don't know that about Philly, because we're not famous for gangs mm-hmm. and shit like that, right? Like so, um, but I can tell you, being a a North Philly dude, I used to work up in Northeast Philly. That used to live in South Philly. That's the transverse through Southwest Philly, which I'm still to this day terrified of Southwest Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're from the wrong neighborhood, yep, there it is, right you there. Will get, you will get jumped. There you get beat up. You get out of there. I can tell you. Uh, Matter of fact, this was 2003, 2003, November 2003. And I'm in North Philly, but I'm in the wrong section, North Philly. Yep. And these cats was like, yo, you ain't from around here. Fourth and Somerset or Fourth and Cumberland <laughs> up there. You well, I, was by, I was there by 10 days. I was out of Kingston. But I'm trying to get back over to the Badlands. And they was like, yo, you ain't supposed to be down mm-hmm. here. And, it was, and I'm not exaggerating, man. It was like, 15, 16 dudes chased me up Allegheny Avenue. Like, I mean, when I'm telling you, I was full sprint. The middle of Allegheny Avenue was a four-lane road in the middle of the street running. 
dudes just chased me, right? And it was like, all right, one of them caught up to me, I turned around, bop, hit him in the face. Bam, keep running around. The rest of them caught up because I stopped the yep. turn because this dude was yes, And I had to hit him because if he grabbed me, it's a wrap. I got jumped by like 14, yep. 15 dudes. Just because you were in a neighborhood. So, yeah, we're not big I, on gangs, yeah. but just the neighborhood. It's the same thing with schools. Like, Omni High School um, was like a in Lincoln. Lincoln was another one with Edison. I don't know what the deal was, but just because you went to – you know, Edison and we go to we go to Link. You wear a different uniform. Because remember that was back when mm-hmm. the uniforms, we wore the khaki and whites. I think Oni wore the khaki and blues. So it's like, all right, it's like it's almost like they made their own gangs. Like it was like, all right, we're not a gang, but you don't go to my school, so we'll fuck you up. And it was like, what the fuck? Like, come on, man. Like yes. <laughs> come on, yeah. man. Like, I'm just trying to go home. Like, um, it's crazy. It's crazy to think, you know, but I'm like, yo, so what do you like, what do you think? Like, how, like, how come you're here now? Cause you know, we made it, we made it out. You know, And we're probably like 1% of the cats from that neighborhood that made it out. Cause that's what I tell, we're the exception. I, you know, Z and I had these conversations cause Z, you know, he always, you know, we always went down the rabbit hole. And one of the things that he would say is that, yeah, I mean, if you made it out, then, you know, anybody coming, I'm like, no, that's, that's where you guys get it wrong. Like, that's where you get it wrong. You got to understand that it's a trap. I'm the 1%. I'm the exception, like legit, the exception. What other thing is you got to look at, and I think a lot of people don't, and it's not just Philly. It's just the Mm -hmm. hood in general, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's a trap. That's what I call all the hoods. Like it's a trap. Because like when you're in, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And your situation is you come from, you come from the bottom. And you know what it's like to have nothing. You know what you've been through, and you're like, "This is not the shit I want for me. I'm going to take whatever chance I ca- I have to to get out of it and make something better for myself." Right. So, and that's the same way I felt. At least that's how I felt. It was. I went to college, right, right out of high school. I went to Drexel in Philly, which is a really good thought, school, by the way. Like, yeah, it, it's a good school, and I'm not I'm not trying to pump myself <laughs> up because I. You have to. I mean, Drexel's a really good damn school. Like, let's just try to slide that underneath there. Like, oh yeah, like you went, <laughs> like you went to fucking community college of Philadelphia. Like, yeah, I went to no, you motherfucker, you went to Drexel. Like, <laughs> but see, I look at it different because I don't think about it. Like, oh, like I was, I did good in school when I got into good schools. I look at it like I went to college and they just racked up debt on me, yeah. and I'm like. No, I can't do this. So I dropped out. You know, I dropped out of college. At, I was 18. I went to college when I was 17, dropped out when I was 18. Um, moved back in with my mom. Now I'm working at Franklin Mills, which is not Philadelphia Mills, making shit for pay. I'm getting jumped. I'm getting robbed at gunpoint. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to worry about if I'm in the wrong neighborhood, the wrong time of night, if I'm messing with a girl from West Philly, I can't be out there too late because these, these dudes are running run up on crazy me. Crazy as hell. Fucking with girls from West Philly. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I stuck to North listen. Philly. You're crazy as hell. I did not go past fucking, what was it? Uh, Not Erie. I didn't go past, I think um, Luzerne. I think Luzerne was the furthest north that I went up. Anytime you start getting up to the northeast, I was like, nah, uh-uh. I stayed Alabama Lehigh loser, and I was like, I ain't fucking with that shit. No, I was messing with girls out in Northeast. Hell no. I was messing with girls in, in 
Kensington. I was going to say West Philly. Matter of uh, fact, dude, and, I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not even, I'm not a player, not a pimp. It was just, I would, I would, I moved around the city. I, would, I felt, I felt comfortable it was my home. I, you know what I mean? I, but I met a friend. Now that you say that, um, I, I met a girl. We, I went to this college prep program in, uh, not Indiana. What the fuck is the other school out there? One of those pen um you know state schools or whatever and um she was from west philly and we met and we kicked it off at it was like a three-week um summer program or whatever we kicked it off and after that you know when i found out she was from west philly i was like i can't really mm, i can't really i can't really i can't really i think i went to her house one time and picked her because i was driving by then and then after that, I was like, I, I wasn't feeling the vibe of the air. I was like, oh, we can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this, man. You know what? I mean, I was, I was young and stupid. You know what I mean? Um, but the thing was, it was like, I was out there. I was, I was in the streets, but not for the reason that like a lot of people, like, you I was in the streets, get that money. Yeah. No, I was in the streets. I was in the streets chasing girls. I was chasing the parties. Uh, where the alcohol at? You know what I mean? Like where the party at? Where the girls at? And I was trying to have a good time, um, but that leads to problems because we don't know you. Why are you here? Yeah, and not just that though. But guess what? Like her? who else? You know what I'm who else is who else is doing that? You know, the, you know the the, the D boys are doing the same thing you're doing, but you're not. And and that's the thing about it is that most most of the cats that are sixteen, I'm gonna say the majority of cats that are sixteen in Philly. They're they're doing something. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. 16, 17, 18, like you're doing something. You're in some shit. Like the vast majority. Um, you're the minority when you're not doing it. So yeah, like you're you're rolling with those cats and and then guess what? You're gonna have to play. You you gonna have to play. <laughs> yeah. And especially if you was moving like I was moving, man, like we I was all over the place. So you had to be either dumb like me. Or you was protected, and it was some places I was protected. If I went up to, um, not Kensington, damn, Frankfurt. If I was a Frankfurt area, I was good because I had family up there. Um, Westford, I was good because the church I went to was that way, so I knew people out there. Um, Northeast, I worked out there, so I knew people out there. North Philly, I'm from there. I can move around, you know, in different areas of North Philly. But you know, it's crazy. You know you're talking about different neighborhoods, and it just hit, you know, Meek Mill. Um, another cat from our city. Um, you know when he says "ain't a neighborhood in Philly that I can't go," like that means a lot. Like people don't understand. That. People say that, like you know, people think that that's just a lie. No, when he says "ain't a neighbor," and 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 with Meek Mill, that's true. Like he was loved in Philly before he made it big, like all around Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Meek Mill says "ain't a neighborhood in Philly that I can't go," it's like, damn, nigga, you got it like that. He got it like that. Like he got it like that. Like, I'm gonna tell you that Beanie Siegel can't say that. Like, like Beanie couldn't say that. Beanie Siegel, he he's a South Philly dude, and he can run yeah, South Philly exactly. But it, I so I remember seeing when he was not famous. I met him. I've actually met him twice. I met him before, right when he got signed to the Rock, when no one knew who he was, and then I met him again. You know when he had albums out. But if you're from because now we get into Philly talk. If you're from Philly, you understand that there's only certain neighborhoods you yeah. go through. And yeah. 
people don't know, and it's kind of it's some it's the same way in some other places. But I feel like for us, because we don't have the gang, we don't culture, have the gang culture. Not like the you know the West Coast. No, I mean, I mean our big gang. So the big thing is, you know, Latin Kings is is big with us. But like Latin Kings and Philly don't really have a big rival. You got these little, but Latin Kings is like the gang in Philly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, you don't really have a big like Crips and Blood. Not as big as the Latin Kings in Philly. Mm-hmm. But so when we say like, you know, we I was in this neighborhood and I'm from this other neighborhood. That's a big mm-hmm. deal. Like you got to be either brave or stupid. Or 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 your fucking uh, or your Meek Mill. Like legit. Like you know. You, and I mean, the dude, the dude said it. I'm like, yo, that's that's what's up. I mean, like a lot of people don't understand what I, I broke it down. I told my my wife and my kids. I was like, yo, like that's a big deal. Like that dude is saying that. That's not just a line. Like the fact that he says that is because like that's a big deal. Listen, if you ain't Meek Mill, The Roots, or Will mm-hmm. Smith, yep. you just, I'm not walking in where you uh-huh. want Mm-mm. in Philly. You know what I'm <laughs> um, but I don't want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to get too deep. We'll get. We'll get back to the Philly shit. But so, so all right. So you, you move to Philly. Yeah. You live with your uncle. Yep. And we've had this conversation. You you, you talked about a little bit. They were really strict. Like, hey, you got to be here at this time. Do this at this time. Yeah. You're working at the garage at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that portion of your life kind of helped you move or or like kind of guided you towards joining the military, or was it just kind of one of those things you were just like, I'm just going to get the fuck out of here? I, I think um I think that uh it definitely did have something to do with, you know, me joining the military. And, and not for the reasons a lot of people might think. I think um I joined the military because I was tired of my uncle being so damn strict. So I was like, I want to do me. I want to get the fuck out. I need to. And and how am I going to get the fuck out? I mean, I don't have a job if it's not working with him. Um, I didn't know shit about scholarships. You know, I was, you know, top 10% of my graduating class at Edison, but still like nobody sat me down and said, Hey, uh, you know, you, you qualify for this scholarship, that scholarship, this scholarship, that scholarship. Like nobody ever sat us down and, and told us none of that shit. So, um, to me, I think that's what it was. You know, I remember the recruiters had a thing and, um, they came to Edison and, and all the recruiters and my boy, he was like, yo, I'm gonna join the Marines. And it's funny. Cause I had just bought a computer at that time with fucking dial up. You know, I bought it with my own money. And, um, I was like, damn, the Marines. I was initially, I always wanted to fly planes. Like ever since I was a kid, my thing, I was going to be commercial airliner pilot you know um so when this cat was like yeah i'm joining the marines that's what i'm doing i was like oh shit i was like no let me look at other services i looked at the marines um online and i was like damn this shit it was it was just it's just too hardcore for me man i was like these motherfuckers crazy i can't do this um and then you know the air force you know commercial pilot i was like oh that shit yeah i'm gonna go do that because i'm gonna go be a pilot um so that was my thing. And um, I was lucky enough, and I tell people to this day, I think I've told you this before, I was lucky that the Marine recruiter or the Army recruiter didn't get a hold of me because I was naive as shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, So had the Army recruiter gotten a hold of me or the Marine recruiter, I probably would have been in one of those services. So I was lucky enough that I didn't get picked up by one of those two other recruiters. I actually went into the um, Air Force recruiter myself and you know, I talked to the recruiter and 
um, from my experience, she didn't lie to me. She never lied to me and said, yeah, you go be a pilot right now, right afterwards or whatever. Um, the one thing she did do um, was she let me go in open general, um, mm. which is fucked up. But lucky for me. So for, so hold, on, yeah, hold, on, yeah. hold on, time. Yeah. So for the people who don't know anything about the military, um, if you come in open general, it's pretty much they'll give you whatever job is available once you finish basic training. So that can be good. Well, that can be fucking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, continue on so, the story. So the, 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 you said that could be fucking terrible. I would say ninety percent of people get the ninety for ninety. They ninety percent of people get the fucking terrible part of that 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 portion of it. Because um, what, what winds up happening to people that come in open general is most of them wind up security forces. That's where the vast majority of kids wind up. Um, yeah. But for me. I don't know if she did this on purpose or not. I think she just put me in open general because she was trying to fill a quota, um, quite frankly. But for me, I wasn't a citizen yet. So I didn't qualify for security forces. So Mm. I pretty much only qualified for medical jobs. And um, so I sat down with the counselor and, and, you know, basic training. The way it works is you you sit down when you come in open general um, week two you sit down with the um, with the counselor, their job counselor, and they pretty much talk you into whatever needs of the Air Force. That's how they do it. Um, I'm thinking about it retrospectively now. That's how it works. And so he pretty much sweet talked me into taking a dental assistant um, gig, uh, which which isn't a no, bad absolutely gig, is not a bad gig. I I'm I'm eternally grateful for that. You know, because um, it was it's a Monday through Friday gig. You know, you have all the holidays. You had all the four days off. You don't deploy unless you really want to deploy. So um, I got to experience uh, middle America. That's that's when, that's when middle America was definitely, it's like you said, your aperture was open to you, you know, way back then for you. For me, my aperture was open when I got to tech school, really. Um, that's when my aperture was open. And then when I got to Mountain Home, it got even more open because um, that was my first duty station was Mountain Home Air Force Base. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Mountain Home is in Idaho. Middle of nowhere. I swear to God, they ever send me there, I, I quit. Middle of nowhere, <laughs> Idaho, man. I'll tell you right now, middle of nowhere, Idaho. So, you know, I, I got to, to, to Mountain Home. It was pretty sad, but um, I guess I guess let me take it back to your question. You asked if I thought my uncle, the way that that, that uh, he was, you know, helped me join it and definitely um, helped me join it. He didn't want me to join the Air Force. They, none, none of my family members, because in, in Dominican culture, you join the military, you're going to be poor as fuck, and you get, get treated like shit, because the military, Dominican Republic, they, those motherfuckers get treated like shit, and they don't make any money. Um, so it's like, what the hell? You're a smart kid. Why the fuck are you joining the military to go be poor as hell, right? Um, that's the perspective they had. So they were completely against me joining, but I was like, I was so determined. I was like, I got to get out of here, um, and, and that's the main reason. Uh, I, I, I yeah, no, I, I can honestly say that the Air Force for sure saved my life, man. I, I really do because I go back to Philly and I'm like, yeah, I would have still been doing the same shit, same shit. And, and you know what? Um, you know, joining the Air Force was, I always say, is the second best decision I made in my life. Um, the first being, and that sounds sentimental, and I never tell I said this was marrying my yeah. wife. But, you know, it it got me out of the situation I was in. 
And, you know, I think we joined, what, maybe two two years apart? I joined in 02. Okay, so, yeah, two years apart. I came in 04. Um, like I said, I was working at Old Navy in Franklin Mills. Like, it was like, I was, I was making like nine seventy five yep. an hour. And even in 03, you know, that was, that was actually pretty decent money for an 18, 18, 19 year old in 03 to make, you know, nine seventy five an hour. But, um, I still was going back to, cause at this point I was living off of, a oh, damn, what's the name of the street? It was Germantown and I can't think of it now. I just live on, Br- not, I did live on Bristol street, but, um. Anyway, I was in Badlands. I was in a neighborhood in Philly called the Badlands. It's called the Badlands for a reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> but every night I had to come back to this place. And because I lived there and I knew the people in the neighborhood and I was one of those people who, and I'm kind of still the same way, like uh, our neighbors were, um, we had older, um, like, I don't want to say senior citizens, but like 50s almost 60s like women who lived on our block and you know in philly it snows i would go and shovel their you know their snow and everything just out of the you know out of the goodness of my heart just make sure they didn't do it i don't want them to go on our side fucking themselves up um so i like the the older people knew me the d boys knew me because you know i was out in the street you know i mean i was partying with, you know where the party at where the girls at that was me you know, so i was protected in my area but if i step outside my area i'm a target again Yep, I didn't want Lita. I didn't want. That's not the life I want. It's like, fam, I'm not. I'm not out here trying to. I'm not taking nothing from you. I'm not doing nothing to you. I don't want your business. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just want to have a good time. I want to make my money, go back home to my mom, my grandmother. That was it. That was it. Uh, <clears throat> matter of fact, I, <laughs> I, I saw this. It was on Reddit. The guy. It was a, a tweet. The dude said, uh, you know, armed robbers are the worst people on the planet. It's like, how are you a weirdo telling myself, I'm going to rob you with a gun, be mad, you don't have anything. <laughs> that happened to me. <laughs> I had to pull a gun on me. It would be mad. It's like, oh, you got a spot out in a bus pass? Like, what the fuck uh, you want me to do? That's life. Yeah, nigga, bro, what are you talking about? <laughs> you should have <laughs> be robbing motherfuckers down here. Go to Northeast Philly and rob them. Yeah, you robbing me. Take your ass out to the fucking the Palisades yeah. or some shit. Yeah. Go back to Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go go down to uh, Center City. Go rob one of them suits yeah. down there. You know what I mean? Um, but that but that was the life that we lived. And it wasn't. You didn't. You know, people say, "Well, you get in the game, and that's what happens." I wasn't in the game. You weren't in the game, but you had to worry about somebody coming and try to stab you, get on the bus, coming home from school. Yeah, but the thing about it is that you and I both know is that had you stay in Philly for another two years, you probably would have wound up in the game because it's almost like inevitable. You know, it it really is almost like inevitable. Like it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Listen, I I, lo- I lost friends at a young age. I lost friends that when I was older that were young, just because, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had I had such a bad temper. Like it was. I mean, it was bad. When I got jumped, I went. I was my whole. The only thing in my head was, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get a gun. I'm going back down there. I'm airing this whole corner out. Everybody getting shot. I don't care if you're down there. I don't care if you was with them or not. You're getting popped. That was my mentality. And, you know, fortunately, my cousin was like, dude, you can't do that. Like, you want to, if you do it and you do kill somebody, you're going to get caught. caught. Yeah. But if they shoot back, you're going to get killed. 
and you almost out of here. So you can't do this. Like fortunately someone was, you know, was more level here than I was and talked me out of it. But this is, it's not something you ask for. It's what is given. It really is. And um, I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding that that little bit that you said right there is what's given to you. Um, And then, you know, let's talk about people getting out of the hood, right? Um, People have a hard time. I I think people that are born and privileged, born middle class, um, I mean, quite frankly, born, I mean, different skin tones. I guess be politically yeah. per correct. A lot of people that are born white have a hard time understanding that. You know, um, that when you're born into that, you have the odds are all stacked against you. Um, not because not because of your skin color. Um, because you know, when when I look at, you know, even um like white trailer park trash they have the odds stacked against them too, right? Because they're super poor. They go to schools and in the shitty schools, you know, their mom is on drugs, their dad is an alcoholic. It's really similar to, you know, colored people in the hood. Like when you really think about that, um, really good book, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. I think I told you about that. I, I definitely recommend that book. People need to go read it because, you know, it highlights the similarities between, you know, colored people in the hood and white trailer park trash. Like it, there's a lot of similarities in how they grow up. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that the, the, the odds are stacked against us, right? First off, you, you know, um, your, your mom is working. Uh, you're lucky if you have a dad, which most people in the hood don't have a dad. Their dad is gone. Mm-hmm. Most, and I say most, right? So your mom is probably working two jobs um first and that's mom right so she doesn't have time to sit down and do homework with you and then on top of the fact that nobody has time to do homework with you now you have the fact that you go to a shitty school people don't Mm -hmm. understand the importance of that right and then now wait a minute now we're going to stack the odds against you even more because now you're surrounded by d boys that are making mad money slanging dope they're driving the nice cars with the nice rims. So that's what you see. You're like, shit, that D-boy's making mad money. He ain't going to school. And as a young kid, you're 9, 10, 11 years old. You're exposed to this. What are you going to want to do? Wait a minute. You don't have a father figure around to say, hey, kid, that's not what you want to do. You know, go be a space operator. Go be a cyber guy. Your dad isn't around to tell you that shit. You're, you you don't have dad to look up to. Who you look up to? You look up to the D-boys. You look up to the people who have money. That's they you, have influence. That's who you they look have up power. To. They got the women. Listen, like, I remember. That's who you look up to. Day, to this day, if I see a 90s era Mustang 5.0. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 it. it, it it brings back those Absolutely. memories. Like, I remember the deep the fox, driving them the things. Fox going, body, the fox it's body. The fox body. Yeah. Them shows is clean. Yeah. Like, I want to be like yeah. that. You know? Yeah. And fortunately, I had I had my father. Thank God for him. I had my mom. I had my uncles. You know, and, and they weren't, I mean, I won't say they were bad people. But I grew up around people, good people who did bad things. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, fortunately, you know, my dad got his life together. He got saved. He became a, a pastor. You know what I'm saying? My mom 
and they were they were never married, right? So like I I'm the stereotypical kid who grew up with a single parent, you know, household. My mom for half my life, and then moved in my dad. Um, but you know, they were they made sure I didn't go down a path because they seen what happens to other people mm-hmm. that go down that path. Um, you know, they were the ones that were like, "Oh, you got to go to college. If you go to college, you're gonna have a great life." And you know what they. Yes, they're right. If you go to college, you get a degree, you can get a job, you can have a great life. That did not work out for me because I am one generation removed from people who were super poor that, you know, my dad's never been to college, never wanted to go to college. Mom had a, you know, a two-year degree, which is good on her because I watched her do it. But like you were saying, they couldn't tell me how to get a scholarship. They couldn't tell me, you know, really how to fill out a college application. They just kind of knew well, you know, you got to fill this out and this out and this out, but like, how do I actually get money? Like when I went to go get my Pell Grants and my FAFSA and all that shit, no, who was helping me? Nobody. Mm. I was figuring out my own because they did, they never. It's funny. Did. Um, it's, so it's a whole nother world of see like, and, and, you know, the higher you go up in society, the, the different, the more the world changes. Right. And, and, you know, my daughter went to, to private school, um, last year. Right. And mm-hmm. that opened my aperture even more. It's a whole nother fucking world, bro. Like, um, like I mean, these guys, are f- a good example of the different world is, so they have a shit ton of college counselors at this school, right? Um, it's a tiny school to begin with. So every single counselor, do you, you wouldn't imagine, these motherfuckers, every counselor is only responsible for five kids. What? kids so that'll tell you everything you need to know it's it's such a personalized a la carte experience so you have your it's like a concierge service you know so these kids by the time you know let's say you in high school by the time they're in you know their junior year these counselors knows the ins and outs of these kids strengths and weaknesses and they can tailor what colleges these kids can be going to versus you know when we went to school Every counselor probably had to deal with 200 kids. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that mm-hmm. tells you that counselor doesn't have time to do this individualized. And so that to me opened up that, that you know, it's crazy just to think about that. And and that's what a lot of a lot of these really successful people, um, we we under we, we really don't talk about the where did they come from? How did they where'd they start? Let's talk about where did they start? Where did Bill Gates start? Where did you know um where did Bezos start? Bezos, I read his book. Bezos, I'll tell you now, Bezos went to a really like one of the top private schools in the nations all his life. Um, when you look into Bezos, like um and Steve Jobs, I mean they were exposed. Steve Jobs was exposed to the computer, and so was Bill Gates. Before, I think 98% of America was exposed to the computer because their parents were engineers at Ivy League schools and shit. So, I mean, when you look at that, it's like, wait a minute, like, let's talk about this, guys. And it's like, you know, where you and I start is not the same where your Steve Jobs and, and your Bezos and those guys start. So um, it, it's all in perspective, right? You know, w- you know, where you started, where I started and where we've gotten in life, I think it's the way I look at it, the moves we've made are pretty much similar, really similar to the moves that Bezos and those guys made because of the amount 
of, you know, the mountains that we had to move to get where we're at, right? The odds that we had to beat to get where we're at, period, you know? Um, yeah, and you, and I don't want to cut you off, but I want to, I want to hit this note real quick, because we've talked about this before, where you were telling about how, you know, your daughter was going to private school when it had all these, you know, these extra things they were doing for the students that we didn't have. But then you look at it, let's, let's rewind it back a little bit. Like I was just saying, like my parents, you know, one of them went to community college, one of them went to college. Um, my stepmom went to, I think my stepmom has an associate's degree, but <clears throat> excuse me, but we have the opportunity to teach our kids what we didn't know, right? So like you were saying, like I was saying, I didn't know how to fill out FAFSA form. I didn't know about grants and loans and scholarships and stuff like that. Like you had the opportunity to put your, put your kids in a private school, even if it was a short period of time because you had to move and change things up. It gives you an opportunity to see like, okay, this is how the, the top percentage is doing shit. Yep. And you can take that information and you can use that to push your the next generation yep. forward. Right? So now when, you know, when, when my oldest, you know, she's in her freshman year of high school, when I'm telling her, you know, these are the things you need to be looking to, these things you need to, like, you need to go out and uh, volunteer. You need to go out and do this. You need to make sure you're looking at colleges at this point. What do you want to do? Like, I don't care if you don't know exactly what, what you want to be when you grow up. I don't care if you know what degree you want, but what do you want to do with your life so we can go ahead and move in the right direction yeah. and get you there? Because I don't, the last thing I want to do is go to college, go to college, go to college. College is great. Yeah, that broad term. But, like the college is a really broad term, though. Yeah, but you want to make sure we have the the know how and the skills and knowledge that we've acquired over the years that we didn't have at sixteen, seventeen, mm. you know, oh one, oh two, two thousand. You know, what I mean, when we were filling out college applications, we can give that information to them, and point them in the right direction because we come from you. Like you said, you had dirt in the floor, tin roofs. You know what I'm saying? I come from a house my, with five bedrooms, 17 people in that yeah, motherfucker. They didn't graduate high school in the Dominican Republic, nonetheless, in the United States. My uncles didn't know how to speak English till to, to this day. They they barely know how to speak English. So, like, you know, they, they're completely clueless. They're completely oblivious to all of these things. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And you have the opportunity to teach your kids. Hey, this is the right way to do this because guess what? I learned it. And if I learned it the hard way, I still learned it. So I'm making it easier for you and you can put them in a position to succeed, right? Which is all you really want to do as a parent is put your child in a position to succeed, right? Um, and, I, and I think that's awesome. Like I am okay with everything I've suffered through, all the heartbreak, all the pain, all the, you know what I'm saying? Like I wish I did something different. That's fine if I can put my... My kids are so fucking spoiled that, you know, my oldest thought I made $300,000 a year. <laughs> you know, like, she thought I made $300,000 a year. I'm like, fam, there is no, you think $300,000 a year, you think I'd be living here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they're so spoiled they are. Like, they don't even understand what it's like to not have anything. Yep. I feel like good as a parent because- if your kid thinks you make three hundred thousand dollars a year, yep, that's kind of a deal. I I always thought my parents were broke, you know, and it's not a shot at them. It's just that, you know, what I mean, like I was watching TV and I look at shit on TV. I'm like, well, we ain't got that. Mm-hmm. And my kids watch TV, go, oh, we got that. 
but that was you know, real so. though right like that was i mean you knew reality you were in touch with reality and your parents couldn't afford those things right so yeah no i mean and and i'm i am appreciative to appreciative of it but it it gives me a little bit of of joy to know that my kids are so spoiled so sheltered and so soft that they won't experience some of the the things that we've been through you know what i'm saying um, I, I mean, I want them to be strong, tough individuals. But at the same time, if I can protect them from the hardships that we've endured, and it's not just you know, not just me, but Carolyn. You know, we talked. You said that you know people from the trailer parks. Carolyn's from you know trailer park in California. Yep. Among among other things, she. I mean, she just wasn't just a trailer park, but she was. You know, she didn't grow up with anyone. No. Either one of us did. Um, so if if we can get put them in a position to succeed. And they believe that they can go and do ten times better than us. Then, man, I did my job. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, no, I I'm super. Through you know, and 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 I tell them, I'll tell them these stories. Like I tell my kids a lot of the shit that I went through. Right? Yeah, um, you rewind back a little bit because for some reason you got muted for a second. Am I still muted? Or am I good now? Yeah, like I wouldn't, I would never want my kids to go through one tenth of the shit that I went through, like for sure. Um, and and I mean, I tell them the stories of the shit that I went through. Um, absolutely, I think it's important for them to know that, like, hey, look, like my life hasn't always been peachy. Like you guys' life is peachy because of you know what we had to do. Both my wife and myself had to do to get us here, right? But our whole life hasn't always been peachy, you know. Yeah, definitely. So. But yeah. All right, let's get back to you because this is about your you and your your story. Because like I said, I think it's very interesting. I, I, this this is a question I don't think I've ever asked you, or at least we didn't talk about. So how did you meet? How did you meet your wife? So my wife and I, we, I went to New York school, in New York, and I knew her brother, her older brother. We uh we we went to school together um literally for sixth grade um so we just went sixth grade together and i knew him um still by then and then on top of that my family so my uncles knew her uncles and that's pretty much we i was able to stay in touch with her brother because of that relationship you know my uncles would visit new york and they'd be like hey what's up such and such and i would see him like once a year so we maintained that relationship and then when I joined the Air Force, I stayed in contact with her brother or whatever. Um, Jamie's three years younger than I am. Um, and so I went back home on leave, like my last year in the Air Force. And, you know, we were at a family get together and Jamie and I just hit it off from there. She she was younger, but we still just hit it off. Um, and the rest is history. Like we just really stayed in contact. We We started dating after that. And um, we we pretty much just maintained. I got out of the Air Force, um, got out of the Air Force. I moved to Tampa. And then it just so happened that her mom moved to Tampa, too, that same year that I moved to Tampa. And so, I mean, from there, it was just like, I mean, that shit was just meant to happen. We just we just stayed. It just clicked after that. That's 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 crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you, like you met each other when you were sixth grade, and then, you know, yep. let's get married one day, yep. you know? Yeah, so, like, her brother, so, like, to be honest with, like, she was, you know, I was in sixth grade, and sixth grade, you were not really, and I would visit, and she was still her younger sister. I really never really, you know, 
I mean, you know, you think about it. I was 15. She was like 11, 12. So it was like, that's her younger brother. And you know how, you know, dudes like, you know, that's my little sister. Relax. Like we never really saw. It wasn't until that, like when I came back home on leave, um, I was three years in the Air Force that it was like, oh shit. Like, you know, okay, this might work. And so that that's when we hit it off. And like in that, in that perspective. And it's funny because I didn't I didn't realize that she was not to say she looks old because she doesn't I didn't because you both look young <laughs> actually I don't like either one of y'all to be quite honest y'all like good looking couple you got good looking kids anyway she you know she was like oh I'm gonna be you know ex old and I'm like wait I'm older than her what the fuck is going on here <laughs> I mean I kind of thought that but like. Am I that much older? You know, um, no, I mean, like, it, so I didn't know there was, you know, that's not a big age difference, yeah. but I didn't know it was that much of an age yeah. difference. And, you know, we, you know, and Jamie's such a nice person. Like, the first time we met, she uh, she rubbed me the complete wrong way because she's like, oh, I'm a hugger. I'm like, don't touch Wait me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, no, man, that's cool because I, you know, when you meet, and you can probably understand this. Like sometimes you meet people and they're a really good person. And you meet their spouse and you're like, why, what, what the fuck is going on here? Like type thing. But like you two, you, you compliment each other from what I see. Right. Um, I always joke and say, you know, Jamie's a, she's a cyborg because she's like always like on point with everything she's doing. She's always like, on, she's man. Doing, she's always on. Yeah. She's, she's, she's on she's on it all the time and you're the same way but you're like kind of you're more kind of like laid back chill kind of yeah you know what i mean but she's very like very great nice person but she's like you can tell that if you know if she wants to do something like she's on it you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah, no absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and and so i just thought it was interesting just kind of like just seeing you guys as the dynamic um because I always feel like, you know, Carolyn's a better human being than I am. But I will work circles around her ass any day of the week. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like, <laughs> so with me, it's the complete opposite. Like, you know, Jamie's like, she works circles around me all day long. Like, it's crazy. Um, she, she really does. So it, the big thing with Jamie and myself is that, so Jamie's on all the time. Um and on top of that, she's a dreamer. She's what I call a dreamer. And I'm I'm a realist, right? Um, so like Jamie would say, So this house, Jamie's like, Yeah, we're gonna own a five you know, like ten years ago she was saying that we were gonna own a five hundred thousand dollar house. And I was like, Get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, at that time, you know, what with ten years ago, whatever, I was like, I have an E fucking four. I was like, Get the fuck out of here. Like, a fucking five hundred thousand, you crazy as shit, right? She's like, No, we it's happening. It's happening. You just wait for it, you know, and here we are, right? And that's who Jamie is. The same thing, like, you know, with the whole officer thing. I think I told you the story. Like, um, that's how we compliment each other. Like, you know, the board opened up to go be an officer, and uh I came home and I was like, babe, like the board just opened up and they only given us two months to put all this shit together. And she looked at me and she's like, So you put it in that fucking package. You doing this. <laughs> like this isn't I'm not giving you a fucking option. Like you're going to be an officer. I was like, all right, I guess I'll put in a package, but I don't think I'm going to get picked up. She's like, Jose, you're getting picked up. Like, that's just who she is. Like, and sure enough, I got picked up. Right. And so 
um that's that's the one of the big differences between us like she's she's a dreamer and so she pretty much like propels me to get all this shit done and, and you know what that that's a very i don't want to say underrated but i don't think it's talked about enough where a lot of the times man like our wives our spouses significant others you want to call them um they push us to be greater than we think we are right like like you were saying with being an officer and stuff like that and her going, no, no, you're going to put your package and you're going to do it. Yeah. It wasn't an and, option. It was, it was, an option. Yeah, it, <laughs> you know, Carolyn, like you, you know, my struggle with trying to make rank over the last couple of years. Yeah. Right. And she has been more optimistic than I ever could be. Like I would walk into the testing room going, all right, time to fill this shit again. Let's go ahead and get it done. You know? And she'd be like, no, oh, no, you got it. You got it. You got it. I mean, she was optimistic up until the point I finally did it. Um, because, you know, she believes in me. She believes in me more than I would ever believe in myself, right? And I think this is the same thing that you probably have with you and, and your wife. And I've seen it with other um, couples that I've I've worked with and stuff like that. And you'd be like, like I, had, I had a supervisor many years ago, and he was like, no, nah, I was a fuck up. I was a screw up. I was just doing this shit to, to do it because it was a paycheck, and I didn't want to do anything extra. Then I met my wife. And then it was like rank, bang, 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 bang. And he retired as a chief. It was because she believed in him, right? Like if it's a very understated thing where you have someone who believes in you and pushes Pushes you you to that level. And when no one else sees it, no one sees it. So the big thing though, you know, I, I read, I read a lot of these books, a lot of these biographies and, you know, your Bezos, your jobs, your, your gates, you know, these great guys, um, the one thing they all have in common is that they don't take no for an answer. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's what a dreamer is, right? Dreamers are like that. They're like, yeah, no, okay, cool. I'll just go around you and I'm going to get it done in any way possible, right? Versus for me, I, I didn't grow up like that. For me, it was like, no, it was like, okay, no means no. Like, I, I guess I'm done. Like, we're we're good here, right? Um, and so I think I, I wholeheartedly do believe that, I, you know, I've gotten so far because of that that personality her you know don't take no for an answer her yeah okay no all right well we're gonna go around it and we're gonna figure out another way to do it right um i'll i'll, I'll do it but she's a lot of times the ones like all right we're gonna figure out all right jose figure out another way to do it and i'm like oh okay i was just gonna not even try to figure out okay i guess i'll figure out another way to do it now right like and so i mean that's that's super under underestimated yeah All right, so let's go back a little bit. You've known Jamie for a couple of years. You moved down to Tampa, and you guys start dating, fall in love, get married. Yay, right? <laughs> um, and, no, and that's awesome because, like, like we were just talking about, you know, she's, she's definitely supported you and pushed you to be great. Um, so you got out the Air Force, and then you came back in. Why would you do such a stupid thing? Shit, that was the best thing I could have ever done was get back in. So um, I got out the Air Force. I wasn't ready to get out the Air Force. And that's the one thing I tell people, you got to be ready to get out the Air Force, right? Um, Thanks. So when you get out the Air Force, you got to be ready to to get out. You have to have a plan, right? And I got out the Air Force and my plan was, I'm going to go to school. That was my plan. Like, yep, here's, that was fucking cute. Like, yeah, you're going to go to school, right? Um, how are you going to support yourself? Well, yeah, I'm going to support myself with the GI Bill. Well, 
that's cute. You're gonna support yourself with GI Bill if you were single, um, with no bills, but then now you have a kid and you're married and you have to support a whole household. Like I said, how the fuck you gonna support yourself, right? Um right. so you know, I started going to school, but then uh the GI Bill, you know, anybody that's ever tapped into the GI Bill, the GI Bill is not an easy process, right? And they don't pay you your money like right when you start school. Like you won't get your money until a month and a half after you start school. And that's cute if you're living at home with mom and dad, but if you're trying to put food on the table, you know, a month and a half without getting paid is not like that's not gonna work. So I had to actually go out and find work and I, you know, I worked at restaurants and, you know, I did little things here and there. Um, and so the first year I was out, I was like, hell no, I'm trying to get back in. Um, and so I applied to get back in. And at that time, recruiters or prior service type thing, they weren't getting like the credit that they needed to get. So they would only get, they would have to do double the amount of work to put in a prior service person um than what to get somebody straight off the street so they most recruiters were like fuck this i'm gonna get the same amount of points so they weren't really caring so you know it took me three years to get back in and it was because the recruiters weren't incentivized to put prior service people back in so it took me three years to make it back in and um i remember my last year i almost didn't get in again i was a fucking prison guard and i think i've told you this story like that was like rough. It was like, dude, I got to get the Air Force needs to hurry up and pick me back up because this, that shit, my little ass walking around the prison yard, that was not cute, man. That, that wasn't cute. Yeah, you, you definitely told me some stories about working <laughs> in the Florida prisons. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to a prison, not even to visit. The man, man. Like, <laughs> I don't care how much you're paying me. I'm not doing that it's shit. Just, it's cold in there. It smells different. You got, I mean, it's just, it's just hell no. Hell no. It just motivates me to never go to fucking jail. So, I, I mean, I think I told you this. I've only been in the, uh, I went into a, federal prison once not to visit someone but i went there because like i told you i got robbed right so i went to go do the lineup thing and man one of those big metal doors shut behind me i was shook when i (laughs) when i say that shit went i was like uh you're gonna open this back up when i can leave right because i can't open it that shit's kind of heavy i'm I'm only a buck seventy. I can't move this motherfucker. Right. <laughs> Listen, I was scared. This is CFTF. This is Philly. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want. Listen, I don't want any parts of that. So I mean, good on you for making it work. But man, I am terrified of prison. I'm never going to jail. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that noise, man. So yeah, no, I uh, it, 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 I had to. I didn't have a plan, and and that's why I did that stupid thing. Like you said, come back in. I think. You know, it's different when you you have a degree and when you have a good job lined up, right? Um, and, and to get out, like I don't say getting out of the Air Force is retarded, right? After your first four or after your first six, like cool. I think if you have a solid plan, like so, good example is my sister in law and her husband, right? You know, they both did four years. However, I think I told you these motherfuckers got all of their certs while they were in. They were cyber cats. They got shit ton of certs. Um, and then he got out first, this motherfucker got picked up to go be a project manager at Walmart, you know, making close to six figures. She got picked up to be, um, to work at the sock at Walmart headquarters in Arkansas. 
So they're both working for headquarters, Arkansas, making, you know, you know, between the both of them about $180,000. I'm like, shit, you know, to go from that senior airman to go making that much money. Absolutely. They had a plan. You know what I'm saying? They both had their bachelors by the time they get out. So get out and do that. I didn't have that. I, you know, I was stupid, young and naive. And I was like, no, I'm fuck the air force. I'm gonna get out. You know, I'm, I got this, leave me alone type thing. And then I uh, got punched in the mouth and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? I, I, I joke and say, why the fuck would you come back in? And here I am at almost mm-hmm. 17 years. Um, but the reason why I stayed in was kind of the reason why you went back in. I had a wife and I had a kid. No, I had two kids actually, and it was like when I started this this six year journey was all right. We're gonna join. We're gonna pay off the school debt. We get this GI bill. We're gonna go overseas. We're gonna pull chocks and get the fuck up yeah. out of here because this ain't the wave. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like okay, cool. I paid off my student debt. I went overseas. I got my GI bill. Oh shit! I got two kids. <laughs> like I got, and at the time I had a two-year-old. You know, I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and it was, and, and obviously my wife. And it was like, all right, I got two choices. If I get out now, what can I do? Right, like you were saying. And I was getting offers from Motorola and a bunch of the companies I've been working with, and it was like, yeah, you can be a salesman over here in, in Europe, and da da da. And I was looking at the money. Okay, that's decent money. That live in Europe, but what about the health benefits? Yep, you know what I'm saying? That's big. You add that into there. Yeah, I, got, I, said, I got a two year old. I have a, a five year old, you know? Um, and on top of that, like when you're overseas, and I spent four years overseas, you're away from your family. And for me, I'm fine with that. But my wife wasn't fine with that. You know what I'm saying? Like she wanted to see her mom, she wanted to see her nieces, she wanted to see, you know, her brother. Um, that plays a factor into it. So, all right, cool. I can make I can make good money, stand overseas, and I can work for Motorola and travel around Europe and have a great life. But what about the other three people mm-hmm. who are important? Um, so yeah, I, I I came back in. You know what I'm saying? Like I reenlisted, and I won't. It, it wasn't a bad decision. Um, was there times in that second enlistment where I regretted it? Sure. But obviously, I'm still here, like you know, you said, at almost 17 years. But you know, um, I don't want this to be an Air Force ad because I think the Air Force sucks. But uh, <laughs> no, you can you can make a good living doing this if if you know exactly what you want to do, if you know what you're willing to do, because this is not an easy lifestyle. Um, I think our I think our uh, so we're looking for our. Um, our journeys are very different, but I think you would agree that it's, it's, it's not for everyone. And I'm, and I'm sure because you, you have the uh, experience of being a recruiter that you can say like, listen, everybody ain't built for this shit. It absolutely isn't for everybody. Um, I I definitely agree with you. Uh, It's not for everybody because there are certain things in your life that you don't control. So, I mean, a good example right now is, you know, the whole COVID situation, right? Like, you know, um, there the nine people leave to go home for Thanksgiving to, you know, spend time with their family. And your job is dictating that, right? Versus like, you know, most civilian sector jobs don't give a flying fuck if you go to the to go to the holidays, to go 
They don't give a shit if you roll around in COVID. As long as you show up to work on Monday, I don't give a fuck what you're doing, right? So they're not going to deny your leave because, you know, versus in the military, it's like they control all of that, right? Um, They control your leave. They control, you know, when you, you can and cannot go certain places or whatever. And even, you know, because of our security clearances, we can't go to certain places, you know, that a lot of American citizens can go, you know? So... It is. And then uh, you throw that on top of that, you you coupled the moves, right? You know, you're a good example of that. Like, they control where you go. And then sometimes you get to a fucking duty station and be like, yeah, you only been here for a year and a half, a year or you're gonna, you're moving and we don't know where we're going to send you. Right. Um, and that shit is rough on the families. I, I'll tell you, it really is rough on the family. So I agree. I, I don't think it is for everybody, but I think, you know, Caveat that I think out of all the services, I wholeheartedly, I don't even say what nobody says. I think the Air Force, um, and I'll argue that with anybody, is by far the best of the of, of, of the services. Um, now the Space Force for me, right? So the Space Force and the Air Force are going to be fighting, right? Um, but I, for me, it's the Air Force because that's all I know. The Space Force is only fucking less than a year old now. Um, so the Air Force by far is the best of the services. I, and, you know, when you talk about quality of life and to give a shit. And, and, you know, we complain about, oh, yeah, the Air Force doesn't, you know, give a shit. But the Air Force gives more of a shit than than the other services, for sure. Because I know you have Army buddies and Marine buddies and Navy buddies that, that yeah. You know, I, I mean, we I joke and we say this shit because, like, I live it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we both live it. It's, it's a joke to us because we've been through it, yep. you know. And everybody's, everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, like I like I've never been to Idaho, and I like I said I'd be pissed if I'm in Idaho. But you had a good time there, right? You tell me how you got there, how to snowboard, and you know you're a kid from an island, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you're out there playing in the snow. Playing in the snow, um, yeah. But you know, I've been I've been overseas. Like I said, I was overseas four years. I've been to you know four different four different continents at this point. Um. You know, I lost count of how many countries I've been to. I've lost count of how many states, cities I've been to, um, breweries, bars, you know, people I've met. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's been a great, 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 great ride. But at the same time, you know, I look at my wife and she fucking hated the four years she was in. Everyone has a different experience. Yep, everybody uh, has a different experience for sure. But you brought up the, the, the Space Force. And I just want to say that I was thinking about this the other day. You know, none of this shit was going on, the COVID and people dying and all this stuff until the Space Force stood up. So I blame the Space Force. <laughs> Kobe was happy at home with his wife and kids. Yeah. Space Force. Really good point. Because the Space Force got brought it got brought up what December. And yeah, then December Kobe died. And then right after Kobe died, COVID. It was like, what the fuck is going on? Man, listen, I, I blame the Space Force. This is all Trump. This is all Space Force. Correlation <laughs> doesn't equal causation, but you might have a pretty good point, buddy. <laughs> it might you might have a pretty good point. Oh uh, man, let's let's move on to some uh some good, you know, like up upbeat type shit. So you're from Phil- well, yeah, you're from Philadelphia. We'll say you're from Philadelphia. Um Eagles fan like myself. We're having a shitty year, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, we got to share something that uh, you didn't get to do before 
last December, and we went to an Eagles game in Miami of all places. They lost, but whatever. Um, what was that experience like going to your first? Oh nah, uh, man, that was football? that was fucking amazing, man. And it's funny because that you know that goes back to my sheltered upbringing, right? Like, yo, bro, like I was I was a Phillies fan. I had never been to a fucking Phillies game. Like that's wild, you know. Just to think about that, um, it, it's crazy. But that that's that, and then, and then it goes back to to me too, right? Like. I, would, I don't think I would have bought tickets for myself to go to the Eagles game. So those tickets, you probably, you know, I think I told you, my wife bought me those tickets, right? Um, Like, she legit bought me those tickets. She's like, hey, look, I saw this special. Like, I'm buying you tickets. Like, you going. Like, um, I think I think Caroline brought it up. I don't remember how it all transcribed, but, like, I think it was Caroline that brought it up. To yeah, so what happened was she, Caroline, saw, oh, they're doing these, like, really, you know, super cheap tickets. Yeah. and. Deployed last year, right? And she's like, oh, you want to buy tickets? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. She's like, oh, you want to invite the guys from the shop? And I was like, I mean, the only one that probably wants to go is Jose. And, you know, she hit up Jamie and, you know, our wives bought us tickets. And that's how we ended up going yeah. to the game which i thought was pretty fucking dope it was that, phenomenal yeah. like like i mean the experience it was dope right like you know two philly boys in the air force you know fast forward fucking 16 years after like after high school like 18 years after high school like fast forward and we're sitting in the fucking phillies game together like it was it was it was an unreal experience you know even though they lost it was still a dope as experience for sure yeah, for me, it's like that was my fourth Eagles game, fifth NFL game. Yeah, but I so my first NFL game I ever went to. There was an Eagles game it was in Philly, it was in a link, but I went because my recruiter got me there. It wasn't my dad, you know. What yeah. I'm saying? It wasn't yeah. my, you know, it wasn't my mom. It was my uncle was like, it was the recruiter who got me to the game. Yeah. I got in the field. I got to meet Donovan McNabb. I, you know, so I got to see the cheerleaders Full and all experience. Yeah, I was a little thirsty, fucking, you know, nineteen year old. Look at these cheerleaders going, <laughs> God damn. Um, you know, it, it, I got to. I, I, I'm, I'm going to use the term "meet" very loosely. I got to meet uh, Warren Sapp and Keyshawn Johnson, who just won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but they were dickheads to us, but it's cool. Whatever. I mean, Warren Sapp. I mean, what you expecting? Yeah, you know, this this was oh this was oh three, oh four, you know, you don't know. But you know, I mean I didn't I didn't get that growing up, right? Like even when I went to a lot of Sixers games because basketball you get a lot of more games and tickets are typically cheaper. But um yeah, every game I really got to go to besides one was because, you know, I paid for it. And uh you know, to get the I know what it's like to get to go to your first game. And I didn't have when I went to my first game, I didn't have any family there. So it was cool that I got to be there with you because like we can share that, you know, like not being sentimental and shit. You know, what I'm saying like we get to share that because not you don't always get to have your first experience with someone like you're cool with mm-hmm. or someone you care about. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you got to do that with at least me. No, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, like I don't at least get along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I was my first game, and I was looking around the the high five. Somebody was like, "Oh, here's random Philly fan <laughs> high five." <laughs> you know, so oh, sure. that was good. It was definitely good to share. Like you said, somebody that I, I you you're a good dude, man. Wholeheartedly believe, and I told you this a bunch of times. Like 
you're a good dude and 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 you deserve good things and um so i was definitely glad to to have been at that game with you for sure no man i i'm glad i got to experience it with you it was it was a good time it was definitely one of those things that i'll remember forever um i'm trying trying to get sentimental and shit because that's not what i do (laughs) i'm not gonna do that no but i I do want to say this uh for those you don't know uh jose used to be my supervisor uh, up until about what, June time frame? Yeah, I think so. June, yep. Yeah. Up until June, um, I've won more awards <laughs> under watch than I ever did in my entire life. So you, <laughs> I hold him in very high regard. You did, man, <laughs> you definitely deserved them, kid. You you really did. Like that that's really what it comes down to, man. Um I don't know if I deserve it, but um <laughs> I definitely have a very good supervisor. I made a point, man. And that's another thing. Like, I, they, you know, that's where it comes back to, you know, this lifestyle isn't for everybody. Like, you got to our unit and what, like, three months later, four months later, like, you're going to get deployed. Like, how, what, how far was it? How, how fast was it that you deployed? I think I, think I got there and. In August, I think it was like November. You're like, hey, so we got a vacation that you got to go to Africa. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> how do you feel about that? I was like, uh, sure. You know, I'm black. <laughs> and to me, it was like, I remember, like, I remember telling you that shit too. And, you know, the Air Force is always like, hey, we're going to take care of your family. Like, you know, we got your family. But that's a lot of people just say that shit from the mouth out. Like, I genuinely meant that because. That was fucked up what they did to you. You know what I'm saying? Like that you just got there and your family's just barely getting settled in. And next thing you know, you're getting deployed. So I was like, no, nah, like this is fucked up. We got to make sure that we take care of the fam while, while you're gone or whatever. And and I really took that shit personal. And Jamie took it personal too. So we, we made sure that we, we kept in contact with Caroline because that was jacked up what happened to me for sure. So. And, and, and you know, and that's that's definitely credit to you and um, and Jamie, and yeah, even the other guys in the team, man. Like, like I I left, I went because it's it's the gig, right? It's what you do, what you get paid mm-hmm. for. So I left for two hundred days, and you know, you would call me, like straight up, call my phone. I remember you felt mad strange too the first couple of times I called you, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is this? Because <laughs> we barely knew each other at this time. Yeah, like we we weren't like we weren't super tight. Mm-hmm. We didn't know each other. Well, I think we really got to know each other after I came back. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Um, but no, like you 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 would literally call me. Hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? Just checking on me and shit. I mean, obviously, I was a little apprehensive. I was like, I don't even know this dude, but like you guys took care. <laughs> it's like you guys took care of my wife, took care of my kids, and you know that's awesome. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Because this that wasn't my second rodeo. I mean, that was my second rodeo. It was my mm-hmm. first time being away. My first time, like, you know, Caroline would tell you, she didn't get a whole lot of support. Um, which is why when I went, you guys was like, oh, is she going to be okay? And I was like, I mean, listen, man, she went through this before and no one helped her. So I think she'll be fine the second time. Yeah, you know. Um, but no, but you guys were there supporting her. You supporting me. And you did one of the coolest things ever by letting her know prior to me knowing that I got promoted. Oh, I'm telling her in a and them calling me and telling me and that is the moment that like i will i cherish that shit like i will never forget it like them calling me and just the 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 shock and 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 joy that i got from that was 
something that resonated with me for the rest of my life. And you gave me that opportunity to give my wife and my kids that opportunity. I think I that it. legit. Um, my 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 thought process was like nobody else. Like I I don't give a shit. Like no 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 commander, no nobody, no supervisor. Nobody else deserves to tell you like you're gone. Like it needs to be her. Like because I know that she was your biggest cheerleader. You know what I'm saying? Like I know you tell me like Carolyn's getting on me to study. Like I remember you telling me that shit. So like nobody else deserved to give you that news other than Caroline and those kids. Like so, I'm glad that I, that we were able to pull it off and that Colonel Tomlinson didn't spill the beans on her. <laughs> no, it's cool. No, it, it you know it like I said is one of the best experiences, best memories I ever have for the rest of my yeah. life. I'm glad we um, share that shit. So actually, I want to bring this up because I was thinking about this, and don't take this the wrong way. Please don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> So, <laughs> no, so I was I was thinking to myself that throughout my career that I've had I've had a lot of supervisors, I've had a lot of leadership. Um and we've been very Air Force heavy on this on this fucking podcast, but I thought I think this is very important to say this. Um I had three of my best supervisors I've had in my entire career have been um Latino. Like the three best, it's been you, um, Chris Mercado, and my man Jose uh, Ramirez. Like, like I've had for some reason when I don't know if it's uh, kind of that quiet, you know, we know we're in a minority bond type thing that we got to take care of each other type thing, <laughs> rule. yeah, that unspoken rule, or if it's just like straight up, like you know just really good dudes, just period. But I all know is that for honest to God, like whether it was Luke, if it was Aviano or, you know, here in Florida, like I had, you know, three of the best supervisors ever, three great dudes. I'm still cool with, still friends with people. I still respect to this day. Um, I've all been Latino and that's awesome. And then, it, you know, you being Dominican, Chris was Puerto Rican and Irish. And then uh, Joe was uh, what Joe is, you know, Mexican. And I think that's pretty cool. And I think that's something we should talk about because I don't think, you know, it gets talked about enough about how, um, you know, Latinos are leading the way in a lot of things and not just, uh, you know, in just the U.S., but like on a micro level, like doing big shit and making other people do big shit. And that's a big deal because, you know, it's like I know. The majority of the force is white folks. Yep. Period. Yeah, and I mean, and it's not trying to be racist. It just is what it is. Our country is is predominantly white, and if you look at the military, it's a microcosm of the country. So, so, and the air force is worse. So, like the army is more of a representation of um, the country because the you know right now I think white America, I think white people, they make up like sixty percent of the country. So. You know, we're catching up. Minorities are catching up. Um, I think that's the last thing I saw was like 60 or maybe like 58%. Um, the Army is a pretty good representation of that, right? You'll see that. Um, but then the Air Force is not. The Air Force is, um, it's probably, what, close to 80% white? Mm-hmm. You would just say? Mm-hmm. I would probably say 80% white. Um, yeah. So so is is completely different. Um, and I... You know, and like you said, you know, not being racist, that's just real. That's just what it is, right? Um, 
I, but I think a lot of it is our upbringing, man. I think um, we're brought up different. And, and there's really, you can't say, nobody can argue that with me. You know, we really are. But one thing that I'll tell you, um, I think for me, the big thing is is loyalty, right? Um, we're brought, I, I was brought up with loyalty, right? If, if you know, you meet somebody that is a good person um, and, and, you know, you take care of that person, like you got to, I think I believe in loyalty. You got to be loyal to that person because that person, um, you, you see certain qualities in people that, you know, I know that I can guarantee you that if I deployed tomorrow, right, you would do the same thing for me. And I don't expect it. I just know it. I just, I just know it would happen. Right. And so you, you tend to gravitate towards those people and it's that loyalty aspect of it. Um, and that's how I was brought up. So loyalty is big with me, right? And even with even with Z, Z is a white dude, right? But even Z, um, you know, I know we bump heads with Z, especially with this political environment. That's a whole nother fucking probably podcast. Um, <laughs> it's probably a whole nother podcast. Um, but but Z, though, is that type of dude, right? Z is I'll take my shirt off my back for you, right? Um, and, and, and loyalty. And, and, and you know, you guys, and I told you this before, you and Z make my job, made my job so much easier because you guys are, you know, I'll take care of you, you take care of me type of dudes. That's just who you are. And so, you know, as, as, a, as a person, not even as a supervisor or as a superior, as a person, I want to work harder to make you guys happy, to make sure you guys are comfortable. Um, and, and then it, I think I really do believe in the whole synergistic. If I believe in the full circle of it, right? Because I know that if I make you guys happy, you guys will make me. And it just keeps going, right? It just keeps giving, man. And and that's really how I like to go about life. And, and I've, I've told you this before, man. You take care of each other and um, the rest takes care of itself, man. Everything else takes care of itself. And I really... I like to live my life by that saying, like, I, you just got to take care of other people and, and everything else takes care of itself. No, man, you're, you're, you're definitely right about that. It, you know, I just, I'm just very appreciative. Um, just as, as a person, as a human being, and you and I have a, a similar backgrounds. We kind of, kind of come from, you know, a little bit less than nothing, you know what I'm saying? And, um, so we have a kind of same understanding, like, and I think that's where it comes from. With uh, especially in military, that you identify with certain people. And you're like, you know what, this is a good dude. I know what I've been through. I know we can do together. I know they're, you know, saying like we can push each other to greatness if we continue to do that. And um, I just wanted to highlight that. That's all that shit was, man. I, and I just really appreciative of you know the help that I've gotten over the years because. There's no way, there's absolutely no fucking way in hell I could do anything I've done in my life without some of the really good, great people that I've had in my life. You know, that's super underestimated. You bring up a really good point because I can attribute the same thing for me. You know, like I can attribute some of the great things that I've done um, to other people. I really can, you know, I really do, really do believe that same thing. So. Speaking of that, so what what do you what do you feel like? You know, we're we're get, we're getting we're we're getting old in military, right? You know, what I'm saying like we're we're old heads in the military. What do you feel is your legacy is going to be when you walk away from this? I think you know, if I, I guess my legacy. If I was to 
you don't have a legacy. I think um, my legacy would be that every single person that I have come in contact with in the military, when they mention my name, it's, damn, yeah, he's a good dude. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't, because you and I both know these people that leave this bad taste in people's mouths, you know? And um, I don't want to be that dude. Like I, I don't. I, I, I think so. So to me, legacy is like when, when people think of me, it's not like, damn, yeah, Jose was, Jose was a, a go getter, or Jose was a, you know, I, I want to be able to people think of me like, yeah, oh shit, yeah, Jose was a, yeah, that he was a good dude. Like that's really what my legacy. That's what my, I want my legacy to be. To be honest with you. Um, I, I want when people think of me, I want positive and not negative because I've been around way too many people in the Air Force that you think about in a negative way whenever you think of their names. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know all about that. <laughs> all about that. And that's really, yeah, that's that. If I was a let to have a legacy, it'd be that, man. It really would be. So, I mean, I want to get these two. Do, Tease two questions off before I let you mm-hmm. go. Um, so, you know, we we talked about this a little bit. You know, with with the language barriers when you jump from uh, DR to the states and then back to DR, and you know, having to speak Spanish and and English. Do you think being bilingual has helped you or hindered you? Definitely hasn't hindered me. Um, for sure, it hasn't hindered me. Um, helpful wise, I think bilingual. Um, it's pretty cool. The main thing, the way main way I see that it has helped me is to establish rapport. Um, so let's say I go to a store, right, and I I see somebody that's Spanish, and um, they're a little apprehensive. I talk to them in Spanish. I'll say something smart, you know, snarky in Spanish. And immediately you establish that rapport and it changes the whole interaction. Um, so, so I would say it has helped me in that way um, is to establish rapport with people in general, um, to start conversations, to kind of lower, lower some people's, um, you know, gates or whatever walls. Cause some people have walls up. Um, it has helped me in, in that way. Um, but other than that, I think career wise, I think it's funny because like, you know, my uncles are like, yeah, you, you have to be bilingual because it opens up all these doors. I can honestly tell you that me being bilingual has not opened any doors. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, it, it does help me like on a personal level to establish rapport with people or whatever, but like open doors career wise, absolutely not. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do because it's, it's a white man's world. Like that's just the reality of it. You know what I'm saying? So what is me talking Spanish going to help me in this white man's world? You know, that's just the harsh reality of it. Um, so it's helped me, uh, not, not in, in, in the way that, that let's say my uncles think that it, it, it should help me. It's helped me more just on a, like a, a personal establishing rapport type thing. Yeah, I, I definitely understand it. Um, not that I speak another language besides sarcasm, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, because, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take down the, the curtain a little bit or bring the curtain back a little bit. So, uh, we had a, you know, a Latina girl, she got in trouble. Her supervisor just happened to be, um, Latina as well. And, 
you know, like I said, I don't speak Spanish. I understand it to an extent, but I'm not like I'm not fluent or any of that. It's just because of I've been around it, so I understand certain words, understand certain phrases, stuff like that. I love the food, you know. But um, you know, she called her, you know, she spoke to her in Spanish. And I think that helped her like it it it, it kept her nerves calm. Because you you know, like you get in trouble and you gotta go walk in this room with you know what I'm saying? People with all these stripes and they got all this power and you're very brand new to the military. It's like, oh shit, I'm about to get my ass chewed, right? Mm-hmm. If someone speaks to you in a language that you know that these other people don't know, it kind of gives you a little bit of an ease. It's a like, comfort. No, this person. Yeah, you give you that comfort. And I, and I, I think that's dope because, I mean, yes, there's definitely, um, you know, being being a black male from the inner city, there's definitely been people I've encountered in my career who, or just in life in general, who understand where I'm from, who understand how I speak. And I'm, and I'm talking about just from, not from a, a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, you know what I'm saying? Like I could, I can, I can be me. Like I can be, I can say all that. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. you know I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, they can understand, they get that and I can speak to them that way and be comfortable speaking that way. But then I know when I step into a different room, I got to be mm-hmm. a different, not a different person, but I have to, I have to amplify my profession. I call right? it, I call it coat changing. Like that's just the, this is the reality we live in, man. This is no, and, we live I, in. I think it's important that, especially for like, like me and you, we're not old, but we have experience. We've been around the block. Like we're in a, we're in a better place than where we were 20 years ago. So these kids that come in, or just these kids in general, they're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and they get into situations. If we can speak to them on their, not just their level, but in the language they understand, I think it helps them deal with whatever they're going through, right? Because I saw the, the change in her face when she was speaking to her in Spanish, opposed to when I was talking mm-hmm. to her. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, I... I I, I can I can speak to her a certain way with a certain language that she understands, and plus she's a female too, right? So it's woman and woman. But no, I think that's awesome. Like I, you, you, I think I feel like you have. I don't want to say an advantage, but I'm kind of jealous because as Black Americans, we don't have that, right? Like you, you have your culture, you have your language, you can bring to. The states like there's, and there's you know, you know, a, you know, there's a pretty good population of Dominicans, pretty good population of Puerto Ricans, um, or whatever. Uh, you know, as black people, we don't really have that. We kind of have like our you know American culture, like you know what I'm saying. Like it, we have that, but we don't have what we bring from our homeland. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes I I I get what you're saying, but so so for me, I look at it, right? And so you look at it um so you have to reframe, you have to look at it in a different way, right? I always look for a way to establish rapport with people, right? Cuz establishing rapport you, you you know, lower down walls and and at the end of the day, you just make to make a connection with people, right? Um that's what I think that's what life is all about is connecting with people. Period. Um, that's where the saying is all who, you know, comes from, you know? Um, and so I, you know, from you, from your perspective, like, you know, 
being a Philly fan, like even though you you don't know Spanish, I connect with you on that level. Um, being from Philly, like I connect with you fucking hard on that level. You know what I'm saying? Being from fucking Marshall Street, you know, down the street from Fifth from Randolph, like I connect with you on a hardcore level. So those are all connections. So like I, I told you in the beginning of the conversation or beginning of this question, like Spanish to me is just a way to connect. Like that's what not not that's not what it's to me. That's just how the way that it has helped me is to connect with people. Um, that's not to say that I couldn't find another way to connect with those people. It just made it a lot easier. It did make it a lot easier to connect with those people. No, no, I totally understand that. I'm like I said, I'm just, I'm just talking about shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I wish I knew another language. Yeah. Shit, I'm gonna something. Um, so last question, and I'm gonna preface this with a little bit um, because I think this is important because you were talking about um, having dirt floors. The ten roofs for a lot of people, and I, you know, I don't have a, a big audience, but if we can reach, you know, five ten people, great. I don't. I think a lot of people look at the Dominican Republic, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, uh, all these places, these little islands that people like to go and travel to on a vacation, right? Like they think they just see the beaches and the sunshine and the rainbows and the, the palm trees and shit. Um, like I've been to the Bahamas and I've been to those 10 shacks out there. Um, what, what would you tell the, the average American about where you're from and what it really means and not just the, the, the paradise vacation side of it? Um, I, that's a, that's a that's a nice one to to end off with, man. I, I like that one. Um, I think um, Dominican Republic to me and Dominican culture, um, and not is interesting. So to me, I, I guess I'll, I'll start it out with to me, Dominican culture is humility. Like it's a super humble culture, and in the Dominican Republic that I know, um. You go to the Dominican Republic and you go to these huts, you go to these, you know, houses with tin roofs and dirt floors because I've done it recently. And these people are willing to give you their food off their plate and not eat for the day, even though they know that you have way more money than than they do and you have the ability. And so they'll go hungry and they will give you, you know, the mouth, the food out of their mouth so you can eat it like because they just, you know enjoy making people happy and they just enjoy like being around other people it's so that to me i think humility is just the best way that i can describe the dominican republic um the dominican republic i know and so when i say the dominican republic i know is because my wife and i went you know on a four-day um vacation last year of the dominican republic and um it was a whole different experience and i think a lot of it had to do because we went to the resort towns and you know, these guys that are working in the resort towns are exposed to Western society and it's just a whole different. And so the guys that I, you know, interacted with there in the, in the resort were completely different than my Dominican Republic, right? Like they were completely different. They weren't humble. Um, they were more Westernized. That's the best way I can describe it. Right. Um, uh, they, they, they were not my Dominican people, but, um, so, so if people go to these resort towns and they don't, you know, get these, um, 
positive vibes or they don't get these, you know, humble people. That's not Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic are super humble, super nice. Take their shirts off your back kind of people. That's just that's just who what what our culture is all about. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was looking for. Actually, my other question was going to be, you know, when you go home, what is it more of a, are you going home on vacation or are you going home just to go home? This so this time around, actually, when I went to Dominican this is the first time I've ever been to a resort in the Dominican Republic. So, but other, every other time I've been to the Dominican Republic, it was to go home, right? Um, Stay with my grandma and like hang out with my old buddies and super immersed in the Dominican culture. And it's a, I mean, when I tell you it's a happy culture, like it's crazy. Like you have these people that are dirt poor, bro. And like, you would never think that they're dirt poor. Like you don't have this, you know, like the hamster wheel that we have here in the States, right? These people are just happy, like to be alive type thing, right? Like super genuinely happy people. So it's awesome. It's definitely uh, a whole different experience when you go to the resorts and when you go into into the Dominican Republic itself. Uh, I, I, I definitely believe one of these days I'm making down there. I don't know when, but oh shit! You know what? I suck as a host because I didn't ask the most important question. <laughs> what at is the beginning of the fucking show? This is a speakeasy. What the hell are you drinking? Shit, man! Right now I'm drinking some some Pinot Noir, man. That's what I'm sipping on. I'm I'm three three glasses deep on some Pinot Noir right now, man. You're all fancy. What kind of Pinot Noir? What, what, uh, uh, what brand? So it's called it's Line Thirty Nine, man. And and people automatically you hear Pinot Noir and it's like fuck, that's fancy. That's you got. It's a fucking eight dollar bottle of wine. It's Line Thirty Nine. It's like my favorite day drinking. Like it's an eight dollar bottle of wine, and um, it's just smooth and chill and awesome. And so I'm three glasses deep right now. Nice. Hey, you know what? Um, I'll bring this up real quick. Like, if people don't really understand that wine does not have to be expensive. Absolutely not. People. Absolutely. It does fucking not. not. Um, I've had you know ninety dollar, hundred and twenty dollar bottles of wine. Absolutely, I've had them. Um, and and I'll tell you, the hundred twenty dollar bottle of wine that I had was it? It didn't blow me off my fucking socks. I mean. Our favorite hands down bottle of wine is a $50 bottle of wine, but that's not a daily drinker, right? That's a special occasion. You know, I get it for Jamie's birthday or for anniversary type thing. Um, but by far our daily drinking, sipping wine easy is, is this is line 39 It's an $8 fucking bottle of wine. And it's fucking amazing. You know, I think, I think a lot of people don't understand that because when you think wine, well, I'm gonna say you, but like when a lot of people think wine, they think super expensive. It's gonna be really, really good. Like I've had, you know, 120 euro, like not not even dollars, 120 euro on the wine, and they were really good. And I've also had, you know, eight, you know, two dollar bottles of wine. I was like, oh, this shit is bomb. Wine is very. Uh, if it's done right, it doesn't matter. The it price. doesn't matter the price. So why they, there's been plenty of studies with Somalis that they couldn't, you know, these guys were doing blind tests and shit and the Somalis couldn't tell the difference between an $8 bottle of wine and a fucking $100 bottle of wine. So that'll tell you everything you need to know. These motherfuckers have 
you know, spent 30 years tasting wine and being wine experts, and they couldn't tell the difference between the two. So that's all I really need to know. Um, when it comes to that. That's facts right there. Um, we are approaching two hours in like 30 seconds. So I'm going to let you get back to your family. But do you have any um, any parting words for all three of my listeners? That, that, that <laughs> no, man, I, I just really, I appreciate this, man. I, I really do appreciate you you inviting me over. It's a big deal to me. This is my first podcast ever. It's a fucking huge deal to me that you you invited me to do this and that you thought of me. Um, I definitely don't take this lightly, and I, I just I'm just highly appreciative of, of you inviting me to to chill with you for a couple hours, man. And I want you to say uh, I appreciate you getting on the show. Um, like I said, I I really felt that you had a very good story to tell, a lot of good information. I don't even think we scratched the surface on some of the things we talked about. No, before. there might be a part like, two, Ken. Yeah, it might be a part two. So I really appreciate you sitting down doing this with me. Um, I really wish we could do this in person. Um, we didn't because I, you were moving the COVID thing. I just didn't want to put you in a position to get anyone sick, and not you know, and also not hinder you um, and your move and everything. Yeah. Speaking of, um, how are you, how are you enjoying Colorado? Uh, it's we love it out here, man. We absolutely love it, and um, the fam loves it. And I think that's the most important. I think if I mean I could live. I mean I lived in Idaho for crying out loud, and I was fine, but. As long as they're good, I'm good, and and they they love it, so I'm absolutely good. Like, as you know, Jamie's in love with her house. She's actually obsessed, yes. with, house, <laughs> like, obsessed with this house, and so I'm I'm glad. I'm glad she's obsessed with this house. We paid five hundred fucking thousand dollars for this house, so I'm glad she's obsessed with it. Um, so I'm just I'm just happy, like legit, super happy that that those those three are, are fucking happy it really does make me happy i think that's what i'm here for is to make them happy so so yeah no, we, we sound, like it out here man we like it you sound like such a good father <laughs> <laughs> I try, kid. all right man hey, listen so um i'm very appreciative of you coming and sitting down with me and we chopping up for a little bit um like i said great insight um great stories to tell I think people will learn from it when they sit down and listen to it. That being said, um, thank you guys for listening. This is volume three of the Speakeasy. This is not, you know, I don't have a set schedule for this shit. So next time we do this one, I don't know. It, whenever I feel like fucking doing it. So <laughs> suck it up. Um, this is, like I said, this is my therapy. I enjoy doing this. It makes me, it puts me in a good mood. I'm in a good mood right now, especially chopping up with somebody I really appreciate and care about. Um, so thank you guys for listening. And as I always say, peace. All right, man. Out. Don't, don't hang up yet.